0: Again, that's Acts chapter 9, 1 through 19. Luke writes But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, as he went on his way, Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were open, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized. In taking food, he was strengthened. Here ends the reading of our scripture today. Let us go to God in prayer. O holy God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So today we learn a lot about this man named Saul, who was from Tarsus, who was persecuting the church in the first century. In fact, the scripture tells us he's from Tarsus, and Tarsus is a major metropolitan city on the border of what would be present-day Turkey and Syria. It, it was one with one of the three major universities. Athens and Alexandria had universities. They'd be like the Harvard and Yale, and Tarsus was over there, and it would be more like ah, Stanford, right? Still really good schools, and they were all there collected. Saul was a very learned man. His father was a Roman citizen and a Jew, both of which Saul inherited from his father. And in fact, Saul likes to tell us a bit more about himself, when we go to a letter he wrote to the church in Philippi, he writes in chapter 3, verses 4 through 6, to tell us about himself, he goes, Though I myself has have reason for confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more, circumcised on the eighth day, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal a persecutor of the church as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Saul thinks quite a bit about himself. And in fact, Saul was all of those things. Saul was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. He would write in other letters that that he was rising greater than his own peers, that that he was the biggest name and the biggest to-do. There was a Hebrew among Hebrews a Pharisee, as to righteousness, blameless. That's some pretty tall order. But he said it in his own words as for his zeal, for for keeping the the word holy, for trying to be passionate to what God had given him. He said, I was a persecutor of the church. He didn't say it as a bad thing. And that's how we really know Saul. Saul was first introduced to us back in the seventh chapter. See, Stephen was a deacon and was out doing ministry filled with the Holy Spirit, sharing the gospel, performing miracles, converting others to Christianity. And they tried bringing false testimony against him. Well, when that worked and it was time for Stephen's stoning, those who had brought the testimony were the ones who had to go and stone him. And those men laid their cloak at Saul's feet, the scripture tells us, signifying that Saul was the one who orchestrated and convinced these men to bear false witness. And in fact, the scripture goes on to tell us that Saul approved of the execution of Stephen, the very first martyr for his faith. In Jesus Christ. And then the scripture tells us there in chapter 8 at the very beginning that Saul then began a great persecution in the church. That he went home to home in Jerusalem, pulling out those who called on the name of the Lord and bringing them to prison. Bringing them before the council so they could be tried and executed. And this caused a great scattering of believers that up until that point had been bunched in Jerusalem by the thousands, and now with persecution, they dispersed to Judea and Samaria. Saul was an evil, evil man, doing the bidding of Satan. In fact, Saul would even tell us in his own words later in the book of Acts, as he's talking to King Agrippa in chapter 26, Saul says this to the king. He says, I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priest, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme." That's where we find Saul today. At the very beginning, he, here in verses 1 and 2, he goes before the chief priest and he asks for extradition, extradition papers so that when he goes to Damascus, anyone he finds who calls on the name of the Lord, he can bind them up and bring them back to Jerusalem so that they could be tried and he could cast their vote that they should die again. That was Paul's plan. He found all he could in Jerusalem, got all to blaspheme that he could, And now as they had scattered to Judea and Samaria, he was off to go find them in Damascus. He was hunting them down and ravaging them. And he tells the chief priest he wants those belonging to the way. Now it's hard to tell if Saul here is using the term the way as pejorative or if The Christians of the day called themselves followers of the way as a good thing. But it was this understanding that those who believed in Christ were so narrow in their understanding of salvation that it was only through Jesus. We couldn't relate to that today, could we? Calling... Being called narrow minded because you believe in the exclusivity of Jesus Christ for salvation. In fact, they're called belonging to the way or followers of the way. We even have our own The Way Sunday School class for this very reason, is because Jesus Himself, excuse me, Jesus Himself says in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life, that no one should come to the Father except through me. Not my words, Jesus' words. Jesus' words that we read in Scripture. Jesus' words that the apostles believed and were willing to die for. Jesus' words that those who heard him and believed in him and called on their name received persecution from Saul because of. Christians for thousands of years who have believed Jesus is the way for salvation. Not simply because he was some man who said it, but because this week as we celebrate Holy Week, that he came in on Palm Sunday, this triumphal day, to be crowned a king. People shouting, Hosanna, save us now! Thinking he was going to come and assent to be the new king of Israel. It would be a week marred with rejection and despisement. And he would hang crucified on a cross, crowned with thorns. But it would be three days after when he rose from the dead that then he would sit atop his throne. Jesus the Christ, the one who offers the way for salvation. Saul is after those who believe it, Those who call on the name of the Lord. And so he gets permission to go to Damascus and bring the believers back. Now, from Jerusalem to Damascus, it'd be about a 6 days trek with a caravan because we know Saul didn't go by himself. The scriptures tell us there was others with him. So Saul had his posse of henchmen and bodyguards and, and something that looked like temple police to go and harass, bound them up, put them in the paddy wagon so that they could get back to Jerusalem. And on his trip, Saul, most evil man in the world, came face to face with Jesus. The scriptures tell us that a light from heaven shone around him and he fell to the ground. Just as others, when God had shown his glory before them, when we read it in Genesis, when we read it in the Gospel of John, when you come face to face with Jesus, You hit your knees. It's the only thing to do. And here's Saul on the ground. And Jesus says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus. Why do you persecute me? Now, we're going to take a time out here because... These are some really important questions Jesus is asking of Saul. Why are you persecuting me? Well, hold up a second. Let's, let's go back and look through this. Saul called himself, uh, as to zeal, uh, a persecutor of the church. That he had just asked permission so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he may bring them bound to Jerusalem. That he would cast his vote to execute them. That it was Stephen that he persecuted and approved of his execution. Where where in any of the scriptures that even Saul has talked about himself that he persecuted Jesus? So what is Jesus talking about to Saul when he says, why are you persecuting me? This is an important question. Saul's been knocked to the ground. He's come face to face with Jesus, and Jesus is saying, why are you persecuting me? We know because we have the rest of Scripture that when we're born again, it's Christ who comes and lives in our heart. And he he says he will never leave us nor forsake us. So Jesus is always with us everywhere we go in all that we do. So that if Saul is persecuting the church and every believer he persecutes, he is persecuting Christ who lives in their hearts. And it's why Saul, who will become the apostle Paul when he writes his 13 letters to these different churches found in the New Testament, that he will write this in almost every one of his letters in some form or fashion as he writes in his letter to the Galatian church. Where he says, I am crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me why do you persecute me this is big this is big and important for us to understand because as this scripture goes it tells us that the church represents Jesus therefore how we treat the church is what we think of Jesus For some, you honor it, you bring it glory, and put it in good light. For others, there's a tendency to ignore it, make jokes. Some are casual, or even occasional, with the church. Some claim membership, but rarely do they call upon it and show up. That's equal to believing in Jesus, but never calling upon his name. Essentially using Jesus as a tool or a fire extinguisher that we hide behind glass to only break open when necessary. Uh, That's not the case. How we treat the church is how we really feel about Jesus. Of course, it's also true that as this was written, the church talked about isn't a building and a location an institution, an organization. But church, ecclesia, means people called from God, from the world to God. So it's believers, our brothers and sisters in Christ. So how we treat our brothers and sisters in Christ says a lot about how we believe and treat Jesus. How we treat those who are far from Christ Do we deal with them kindly and gently with generosity and grace as we have been treated when we were far from Christ? It says a lot about how we believe about Jesus in our own lives. For Jesus said himself, That which you do to the least of these, you have done it to me. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuted? So he tells them, go on into the city. And there I will tell you what you are to do. Those that were around Saul, in his posse, they didn't see Jesus. But we know Jesus appeared to them. They only heard the voice. And none of them were talking after what happened. Saul gets up off the ground, and when he opens his eyes, he can't see. He is now blind, and for three days... He will be blind, and he won't eat or drink that entire time. So Jesus introduces us to Ananias, one of his disciples there in Damascus. And Jesus calls upon him and asks, Ananias, which his name means God is gracious, I think that's an important thing to know in this story about Saul, the most evil man in the world to Christians in the first century, that a man named Ananias, God is gracious, is being sent after him. That The son of God, Jesus himself, came face to face with Saul as he was on a journey to persecute more Christians. And when he confronted him about his persecution, he didn't judge him and condemn him. Rather, he showed him grace and love, unmerited. Ananias says, I know about this Saul. I know what he's done in Jerusalem, and he calls him evil too. But Jesus says in verse 15, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine. To carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. See? A chosen instrument of mine. God chose Saul. God pursued Saul. In a clear demonstration of divine sovereign grace, Saul was saved. Not because anything Saul did. Saul wasn't making any moves towards Jesus. He wasn't working on getting his life right. He wasn't all of a sudden going and attending worship services. Saul was persecuting the church. Saul had heard the gospel and found it wanting. Saul had heard and argued with Christians and had a rebuttal for every belief they had in Jesus. Saul was convinced that Jesus died on the cross and there was no resurrection. Saul did not believe Jesus was the Messiah and was not getting any closer to believing it. And yet Jesus pursued him still. For he was not even too far gone. Jesus pursued him changed his heart and brought him to faith see one of the as, as a pastor when we enter funerals we often hear Psalm 23 being requested it's a, it's a beautiful song and it, and it gets to the point where it says "And surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all of my days a beautiful line, but we mistranslate it when we turn it over to English. See, the Hebrew word jertapuni actually translates better to shall pursue. So as King David writes this, surely goodness and mercy shall pursue me all the days of my life. God's grace is always coming for us. It's not that it's just following us around like a shadow or like a lost little puppy dog. It is an active pursuit of our hearts with goodness and mercy. So here Saul is, blind. Ananias not wanting to go but goes anyway. Obedient to the Lord even to the most evil man who he is afraid that when he calls upon the Lord he will be arrested but Jesus said fear not. I've chosen him to be an instrument of mine. So Ananias goes and he prays and like scales fall from his eyes. See it's in It's important to have this imagery because when it's used within the Gospels, when a blind man is healed within Gospels, it's used as this allegory to show that there are people who cannot see that Jesus is the Messiah. Even those that he is telling the story to and healing around, that do not see Jesus as the Son of God, the Messiah. And so he'll heal a blind person and now they can see. And just like that, Paul, Saul can now see that Jesus is the Messiah that his sight is now by faith in Christ. So as soon as Saul could see, he got up and was baptized. He ate and was strengthened. So this is is an amazing text, rich in history to learn about Saul, who in chapter 13 of Acts will be named Paul. Paul. And we get the Apostle Paul who writes the New Testament, who goes and starts churches, who will die for the name of Christ. But there's more to it than that. There's one more thing for us to carry home, for us to see in Saul's conversion. Saul's conversion was for you. Saul's conversion was for you. Here's why. In verse 15, Jesus says it, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles. That's us. Jesus chose Saul, persecutor of the church, to be the one, the catalyst, For the gospel to begin reaching the ends of the earth. See, it also saw that God had chosen to be the catalyst that the Christians who were gathered in Jerusalem because of the persecution he brought suddenly scattered to Judea and Samaria. Where Jesus had told them to go be witnesses. But it wouldn't be the scattering of Christians that Jesus would use next. Rather, it would be the one who scattered them first. That he would use To begin reaching the world with the good news of Jesus Christ. Saul's conversion was for you. Paul himself believed that. He believed God was thinking of you when he chose Saul. He writes to Timothy in his first letter in verse 15. He says, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of who I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. God was thinking of you when Saul was saved. And Saul believed that because he believed he was the worst sinner to ever live. And that if Jesus Christ could pursue him, reach him, and transform his life, that therefore there is no sin too great for the cross of Christ. There's no sin that cannot be washed out with the blood of Jesus. That you might be sitting there saying, but pastor, you don't know my sins. Let me introduce you to Saul. He was killing Christians. Refusing to believe in Jesus as the Messiah. And yet Jesus reached him with grace and forgave him of his sins and used him as an instrument for his kingdom. Who was God thinking of When he saved you. Last week, Pastor Chris preached an incredible sermon on evangelism. And what we know is this. That the gospel does not end with a period after our name. It does not stop with us. Rather, God has chosen us just like he chose Saul to be an instrument to carry his name. Just like he chose Ananias to be an instrument to carry his name to Saul. Who was God thinking of when he saved you? Because there's someone directly in your life, a mom, a dad, an aunt, an uncle, a grandparent, a friend, a co-worker, a pastor, a neighbor, random encounter that told you about Jesus. Because God had you in mind from before he knit you in the womb. So go. Go. And let Christ, who lives in your heart, shine his light into the world. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we give you great thanks and praise that despite all of our sin, you pursued us with your grace, that you chose to love us, and you have a purpose and a plan for our life so that we may be an instrument to reach others in your name. We ask that the Holy Spirit push us and guide us, that we would gain clarity on where we are to go next with this gospel message. But in all that we do, may we do it for your glory. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.